Welcome to 501 Crossroads, your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, President and CEO of Mind's Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between people and the mission. Today, I have the opportunity to interview Beth Cantor, who is on just about everybody's who's who's list in nonprofit social media. Um, and Beth, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. Oh, it's so <laughs> great to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and what you do. <laughs> well, I, I've been working in the nonprofit sector for 35 years, mm -hmm. and 25 years ago, I discovered the internet. <laughs> and I'm not a techie, really, but mm -hmm. I, I got a job with the New York Foundation for the Arts mm -hmm. um, to work on a project for online networks for artists. And that's how I got into it, because I had this passion for learning and teaching and sharing knowledge. And so I would learn from the techies and teach the artists. Um, and I've been basically kind of like creating my own career as I go, in a way. <laughs> Because um, I got into early um, social media early and blogging. So I started mm -hmm. my blog in 2001. And um, I'm, I was visiting scholar at the David and Seal Packard Foundation. I've written a couple of books, the network nonprofit, and measuring the network nonprofit, and more recently, mm -hmm. the happy, healthy nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So I've it's basically <laughs> been a, a trainer and a teacher. Excellent. So how did you make the journey from you know, really being into performing arts to really becoming a consultant and especially around the social media space? Well, there's two jumps, I think. Mm -hmm. The first was... Um I was in music school. I had um, a desire to be a classical flutist. I wanted to sit first chair in the mm -hmm. Boston Symphony. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, when you go to the auditions, there's 500 flutists who play better than you. So <laughs> I decided, well, maybe I can play a role um, behind the scenes. And I got a job at the Boston Symphony where I did, learned fundraising. And then from there, I managed a small chamber orchestra. And there I learned everything, not just fundraising, but board development, financial, strategic planning, marketing. And then I, I was very successful with that job, um, but I decided I was a project junkie. And so from there, I kind of graduated to um, being a consultant and I would get technical assistance grants from the local arts council. And then nonprofits would hire me to help them with their strategic plans, marketing, finances. And I did this for a couple of years and I sort of became an expert mm -hmm. in um, small to mid-sized arts organizations. And I got a job um, as an evaluator for the no uh, National Endowment for the Arts. And so I was evaluating their grantees. And that's then I pivoted over to technology. Very cool. So just a lot of this on this on this on this. To, it's kind of like, oh, well, being open <laughs> and, and always wanting to learn and um, trying new things. So you mentioned that your blog started in 2001. You know, Facebook didn't really become a thing until 2004, Twitter in 2006. When did you see social media as being something that would be a really potential, a good potential tool for nonprofits? Uh, really early on, mm -hmm. but, you know, in the very early days of blogging. Mm -hmm. um, Again, having the experience of uh, doing the online network in the 90s, mm -hmm. like during Web 1.0 and yeah. the Unix and the online communities, I saw social media early on. I just saw it as a resurgence of being interactive and making connections, and it was mm -hmm. really exciting. It reminded yeah. me of the, the mid-90s, mm -hmm. like back, you know, again. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I was just really just passionate about it and just like did it. <laughs> yeah, I remember your blog was one of the very first I, I started reading when I came into the sector. I was like, somebody's talking about the things I keep talking to my boss about. This is great. <laughs> and my boss thought I was crazy, so, but he was a good guy. <laughs> um, so if you could go back and tell yourself something at any point in your career, what would it be and in what time period? Oh, gosh, what a great <laughs> question. <laughs> 
um, I was just saying that to somebody today. Oh, we were talking about, well, again, the, the messaging around the happy, healthy nonprofit mm -hmm. and really like taking care of yourself and work-life balance yeah. and prioritizing, you know, what's important. Like nobody really at the end of the day became successful um, or, you know, based on answering all their emails or having an yeah. email box, right? You don't get Such promoted that way. <laughs> and, and then just thinking about the things that are important in your life and that we have a limited amount of time mm -hmm. on this earth and to make the best of it. Yeah. And I had wished if I would go back in time to my younger self when I was more of a workaholic, mm -hmm. I would tell myself, don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things you were talking about in this morning session, and you talk a lot about it in the Happy Healthy Nonprofit, is um, about making sure you get enough sleep and, you know, the prioritization and things like that, and maybe not working so many nights and weekends. I know a lot of us nonprofiteers uh, have side hustles in one way or another, or have to, or maybe we want to. Um, how do you think that, how, what's a good way for people to balance that full-time job, that side hustle, and then life? Another great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess... You know, in the book, um, my co-author, Aliza Sherman, has a way of describing it. Um, and it was called, it's not work-life balance because it's mm -hmm. never really balanced. Mm -hmm. It was work-life juggle. So you're Juggle's just good. kind of juggling different <laughs> parts. So, But when you're in, doing the family thing, you're focused on the family. When you're doing your job thing, you're focused on the job. And when you're doing your side hustle, you're focused on your side hustle. And when you need to relax and have downtime, you're focused on doing that. Excellent. So it's really just focusing on the moment and kind of that whole mindfulness movement that we see a lot. Well, I think that and also being a sense of really a good sense of self-awareness mm -hmm. so that you know, like if you're getting into that habit of just doing all work and being mm -hmm. all boring, all work all the time, you know, yeah. as opposed, there's, you know, and not having a lot of outside interests and not taking time for yourself. I yeah. mean, I, I talked about this morning about the personal chaos index. Mm -hmm. And for me, I made a commitment to at least do my dishes every morning and mm -hmm. not have dishes in the sink. Because okay? <laughs> if I have dishes in the sink, I've told myself I don't have time to do this, which mm -hmm. means I'm overworking myself. Yeah. So I pay attention to those, you know, to those things. Oh, I have dishes in the sink. Okay, slow down. <laughs> yeah. And it, that's, that's hard for me, those dishes. I would really rather somebody else just do them for me. That would be nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there's a, you can do your dishes mindfully. You know, that's a really good point. I like that. <laughs> just really focus on the dish for a minute. So the dog would like that. If I let him well, focus in the, the in the mindfulness training, yeah. they have you... Um, eat a raisin mindfully mm -hmm. or eat a Hershey's kiss or do your housework really mm -hmm. like put your focus into dusting the table. And, and that's what I do. It's sort of a form of meditation. Mm -hmm. And I also have like kind of a meditation around um, making my coffee in the morning, as I mentioned. <laughs> and, and so it's really, it's that focus, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I being love aware. Concept. So now one of the things you mentioned is you, you kicked your iPhone out of the bed. Yes. Um, not, I let just, my husband stay. <laughs> he can stay. <laughs> So, and since you were focused on, on tech um, for such a big part of your career, can you talk about how how social media has, has kind of been, you know, become all-encompassing if we let it, and what your strategies beyond that have been to kind of step back but still be engaged? Great question. Um, and well, you know, it's funny because 2012, I, my last book, The, the Measuring the Network, Network Nonprofit, was published, mm -hmm. and from... And I was writing that over 2011, and I was completely distracted. I would get online, and I'd have 10 tabs open in the browser, mm -hmm. and I'd be multitasking, writing an email, bouncing around, you know. It was like, and we had a joke going on, squirrel! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and um, and I, 
And I knew that I, I'm not going to be able to write this book if I don't focus. Yeah. And um, so I came across um, some writing by Howard uh, Rheingold. Mm-hmm. Um, blanking on the name of his book. It was published in 2011, 2012. And there was a chapter in it about being bringing awareness and mindfulness to mm-hmm. being online. Oh. And it was kind of like kind of just managing and training your attention. So it's kind of like, I'm going online now. I'm going to open my email. The only thing this is going on in my head, mm-hmm. the only thing I need to do is to answer this email. I'm mm-hmm. Oh, I'm finding myself that I want to open this tab and look at Facebook. Stop. So I, I really trained myself to try to focus and be aware of where my attention was going and practice that every day. Yeah. Um, And a a big technique that helped me um, was, it was a a book called 18 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. I think it's David Berkowitz is the author. I know his last name is Berkowitz. Um, And the 18 minutes a day thing is that you come in in your, in your day, right? And you have your index card, you write three things you want to get done. And then you set your timer on your iPhone to beep you every hour on the hour. Now this might sound distracting, but really it's to say, Hey, did I get these things done? I am on task. And then at the end of the day, you reflect on, did I get this thing done? Why not? What got in the way? You're kind of Mm -hmm. gentle on yourself. And so I did this, I practiced this and it was a way to incorporate some reflection which helps you build self-awareness, which then helps you build your ability to reflect and focus. I really like that because, you know, like you mentioned, it is really easy to get off task when you're working in a nonprofit, whether it's with something on the internet, staff, colleagues, squirrel, <laughs> squirrel volunteers, you know, things like that. Um, so I, I love that idea of just the keeping on tax and or on ta- task. Can't talk today. <laughs> So how have your fans reacted to your advice? Uh, you know, those that we've been with you for a long time, were they like, yes, or was it, I can't, can't let go of my iPhone. What are you talking about? You oh, 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 we, oh, <laughs> oh, you mean the, the kind of tech wellness? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, yeah. um, no people, people, and you know, my co-author and I, mm-hmm. when we, we knew each other in the nineties, but mm-hmm. then we uh, connected at um, wisdom 2.0 and we're both talking about how we're tech people, but we're burned out from it. Yeah. And so, um, the, the, I, the, the concept is really resonating with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, and what I'm trying to do is not have drastic change. I'm trying to open people up to like, okay, so there's one, maybe there's a thing you can change, maybe kick it out of the bedroom or maybe mm-hmm. like don't have change all your alerts. So you're not getting constant alerts, you know, or really think about like when you pick up the phone and when you're picking it up and is it mm-hmm. habit or are you mindful about it? So yes, people are, um, enjoying the message or, you know, I, I see a lot of people in the nonprofit sector being overwhelmed by technology mm-hmm. and just overwhelmed and yeah. technology contributes to that. Big time. One of the things that I actually used, um, after I went on a cruise is I turned off all the notifications for everything on my phone and then slowly started turning on the ones that I really felt I had to have on because, well, text messages came in and I wasn't paying attention to them. Um, but that's made a huge difference is not having those little red dots with the numbers in them on my phone. <laughs> Definitely. The red dots with the numbers and the bing. I still, you know, um, I've turned all mine off except for I, I have a couple of news alerts on. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, you know, I, I, do I really need to know, like, what's on the front headlines of the, non- mm-hmm. of the New York Times when it publishes? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll still so, be there. It'll still be there. <laughs> Remember those days when people only read the news once a day? Yes. Weird. <laughs> so what is your favorite success story of um, somebody who took some steps to you know, maybe reclaim part of their life as, as lives as a result of the book? 
as a result of the book. Okay. So let me think about that. Or I could tell you some stories in the book. Um, in the book's cool too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we love your book on this show. So, <laughs> okay. So I'm thinking about, um, I'm, um, and she was anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's in the first chapter, um, which is based on all these interviews with people who had burned out mm-hmm. a lot of fundraisers and she was a fundraiser and she was working for an organization. She really cared about the mission and when she came in, and it was kind of a dysfunctional organization, mm-hmm. dysfunctional board, dysfunctional executive director. So when it came in, it was like, ah, the development director. <laughs> Here, go bring us suitcases of money. Oh, nice. You know, did they do that? No, no. Well, they mostly said to the director, <laughs> bring us suitcases of money. And we're not doing anything. It's your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that just forced her to work hours and hours and hours. And she was also commuting. And, and she just powered through it, mm-hmm. you know, um, until she got sick. She started losing her hair. And then she had to, she ended up leaving the job. Um, she got herself back to wellness, created a whole consultancy for herself and a whole new life. Um, you know, in the process kind of ended up divorced because it affects her personal relationships. Mm-hmm. She's remarried. She's doing great. Wonderful. But reflecting on it, she said at the time, I wasn't good about setting boundaries and saying no and recognizing that I was in a, a dysfunctional culture. And I, what I should have done was made, um, a uh, escape plan. Yeah. You know, as opposed to thinking that I could change it and by working harder. Yeah. I think a lot of people in nonprofits um, get into that. You know, I'm here, I've got this job and I'm going to do this job until I've done this job well. And I don't know if that's necessarily how we all need to be. Like there are other jobs. There are. And I think it's also that it's not just like when you interview for a job, Mm -hmm. you look at the job description you look at the salary, you look at the benefits, but I think you also have to look at the culture mm-hmm. and your fit with the culture. And you only can do that, you can do that by observing, asking people who have left the organization mm. during the interview, what's it like to work here? Yeah. You know, um, just a colleague just told me that she started her new job and, and her part of her onboarding was, you know, you know, I don't answer emails on the weekends or late at Mm -hmm. night. This is not emergency work. Mm -hmm. Just so you know. Yeah. And (laughs) nobody fired her. Yeah. (laughs) She set her boundaries. And they they also set up this thing that sounds really great too. They have two days a week, uh, two days a month. I'm sorry. They're called stop days. Hmm. And stop days are, there's no meetings and you really wrap up the projects from the month and you plan for the coming month. Oh, I love that. That might be happening in my organization soon. <laughs> we need those days. We, do they have cleaning days too? Because I need to do this. Well, you can do that. You know, <laughs> but it's don't talk to me. Don't, you yeah. know, if you need, if you, there's a stop day on this Tuesday and you mm-hmm. needed a signature from a person, mm-hmm. like you get it on that Monday or the Wednesday, you know, there's oh, okay. no meetings. That's fantastic. I love that. So one of the cool things about this conference is we, we're seeing a lot of young people around here. And one of your latest projects is the Emerging Leaders, Leaders Playbook, um, which is designed to prepare individuals and organizations for the fact that within the next eight years, uh, 75% of the workforce will be millennials. How did that project come about and what's been the response to it? Uh, well, this came from, it's supported by the Dave and Lucille Packard Foundation. Okay. And I worked in collaboration with um, Third Plateau Social Sector. And the first year it was just a, it was actually a PDF that was a playbook. Mm-hmm. And it was a look at um, a curated collection of resource, uh, leadership development resources, mm-hmm. um, specifically for millennials. And one of the things that we learned, and we also did a peer training um 
uh, six-month uh, professional development effort for um, um, a cohort of the Packer grantees. And, what, and the way it was designed based on our research is that um, millennials really need to have uh, mentors in their organizations. So oh, yeah. it was not only training for the millennials, but it was also training for a mentor in their organization. And um, the framework for it is I, <laughs> we, org. So mm. leadership and professional development is, you know, about knowing yourself, your emotional intelligence, um, team and collaboration skills, and um, culture, understanding culture. Yeah. And so those are the most important skills for young leaders to, to learn and mm -hmm. to know and to have. But it's also important for the organization to make changes, too, to accommodate young leaders, like um, empowering them to take on more responsibilities, um, to giving them up growth opportunities, and to giving them a lot of on-the-job experience, yeah. and which requires the, the mentoring and support. Oh, yeah. So um, the second iteration of the project, which is now online at Emerging Leader... <laughs> EmergingLeaderPlaybook.co um, is a whole toolkit. So okay. it's organized um, in that, that way, but there's also um, a toolkit that's grab and go kind of um, lesson plans mm -hmm. that people can actually build skills around collaboration while doing the work. And they can do this as part of a staff meeting. They're all organized as short kinds of training. So instead of sending people out for a couple of days for leadership development, mm -hmm. it's actually done while doing the work. Oh, I love that. So I noticed in the, I think I got a chance to look at the PDF. I haven't seen the whole playbook. I'm going to look at that. But my favorite was just the, the blurb on how to have an effective meeting. So what's been your go-to tip out of that, that that you kind of throw at most people that you, when you're talking about the book? Or about okay, effective meetings. <laughs> um, well, you have to design the agenda. Mm-hmm. I'm bad at that. <laughs> you know, design the agenda, send out pre, you know, reading in advance, mm -hmm. and then facilitate the meeting so you're staying on time. Yeah. And then have your follow-ups. The follow-ups are key. I think that that's one And your takeaways. And then, about. and the notes. Yeah. Excellent. Because a lot that. of times, you know, a lot of meetings that are poorly designed, there's like the agenda, but we're not sticking to the agenda. We don't make decisions and there's no follow through. Yeah. One of the things that I started doing recently was trying to keep a list of everything everybody promised at the end of the meeting and publishing it, which has, has worked in some cases. And, oh, no, I didn't say I'd do it. In others. <laughs> or even in the design of the meeting, you yeah. have like your opening. If you mm -hmm. can visualize this, you have your opening. Mm -hmm. So that's like easing into it, maybe going around the room. How's everyone doing? Mm -hmm. So easing into it. And then there's the body of the meeting, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, topic, which might be five or 10 minutes of presentation, assuming they've read the pre-read mm -hmm. and then discussion decision, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then another 15 minute segment and then closure, you right. know, your, the feet, yeah. the head, the body, the feet, and the closure piece is what are our takeaways. Mm -hmm. So it's not like necessarily taking down complete notes of what everyone said, but mm -hmm. it's the, okay, you agreed to do this, you agreed to do that, and yeah. let's go around the room and confirm that we're all on the same page mm -hmm. and then set the next meeting. I love that. Well, you can even get, even get uh, some of our members that are putting together board meetings, get those to be a little, little more concise would be good. So Not only concise too, but I think also if you're having meetings with a regular group, yeah, like a board or a team, that you also want to have your rules of engagement, Ooh. which is how do we, um, how do we want to become, you know, 
things like we pledge to be to read all the <laughs> reports before we get to the meeting so we can be informed. <laughs> we agree to disagree mm -hmm. and to move on in agendas, mm -hmm. you know, that everyone takes responsibility for thoughtful and civil discussion, but we're not going to get stuck. Yes. We're going to, um, that there are going to be different roles in the meeting. Somebody's going to be the timekeeper, you know, and somebody can be the Yoda. <laughs> the Yoda is the person who can say things that haven't been said. Oh, you know, <laughs> so, so, or if it's virtual meetings that everyone is going to give their full attention, or even if it's not virtual meetings that you're not going to be like on your phone, checking email or checking out of the meeting. Yeah. So it's kind of a, I mean, and there's some, you know, you can search online and you can see mm -hmm. examples of this for different boards, but it's really helpful maybe to take one of those templates and then discuss it with your board and make it your own and then have that, um, refer to that at the beginning of the meeting, like in, you know, our meeting rules say not mm -hmm. the whole thing, maybe, but maybe one or two rules. Yeah. And then also I think it's, uh, it, it rests on the facilitator of the meeting to live those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like for example, <clears throat> I'm on a board and one of our, and we have the rules of engagement of course I facilitate that discussion. And one of them is that we're going to give our full attention. We're not going to be checking emails and our board chair is really great at calling everybody on that mm -hmm. and reminding people like she won't say by name, but mm -hmm. she'll say something like, I feel like I'm losing everybody's attention. Are we mm -hmm. all on this task? Mm -hmm. Do we need a break? If you know, if you have an uh, urgent email that's coming in from your work, you know, you want to, uh, you can go and do it, but do it outside the meeting. Mm -hmm. You can leave now. Of course, no one's going to do that, but yeah. But it's like <laughs> reminding us. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to do sometimes. It's calling out your peers is, is tough. <laughs> yeah. But necessary. So yeah. necessary. So you do a lot of speaking, uh, a lot of different places. Um, let's say that um, all of our listeners had a visit from the conference donor fairy uh, who said, I will give you money to go to two national or international conferences. Um, those of you, but you have to go to one of them or two of them. Um, which two would you recommend? Okay. <laughs> Domestic, I would go to the um, NTC, the Nonprofit mm -hmm. Technology Conference, which mm -hmm. is hosted by N10, and it'll be in April of 2018 in New Orleans. Excellent. And I've been, it'll be my 18th year, I think. I don't know. I've, I've been there since the beginning, and it's it's like a, it's um, 2,500 people, but it's like my family. and. Yeah. High quality sessions, great interaction, great community, uh, very inspiring. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if you want to be on the intersection of technology and fundraising, marketing and fundraising, IT, you know, so it's the intersection of nonprofits and technology from different perspectives. And the people that are there, it's not all fundraisers, but there's some fundraiser, there's marketers, there's um, funders. I mean, it's a really good crowd. Yes. Um, the other one I love is the IFC which is the International Fundraising Congress that takes place oh. in October in Amsterdam. They just started one in Asia. Um, what I love about the IFC is it, that's at the intersection of fundraising, but social entrepreneurship. So not only do you get like really high quality curated sessions on the craft of fundraising like you do at AFP conferences, but um, they also do a lot of, um, they share a lot of inspiring examples of the actual work and the results. And I always leave, their speakers are amazing, the plenary sessions. I, I just leave inspired and, and the community is great too. I feel like they're also like, oh, I found my fat tribe. Yeah. You know, so those are my two, like I go, I go to there no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then I have, I like to find conferences that are either in tech or they're kind of cross-disciplinary and they're in the first or second year, they're small. Mm -hmm. So you can actually have uh, a lot of interaction and 
you know, meet people and get exposed to new ideas. I love, I, I love those. I love small conference where I can talk, actually talk to people. Don't feel like there's books yet. That, that's a big fan. I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> so one last question. Um, do you still play the flute? <laughs> <laughs> what a great question. You know what? Uh, I do not play the flute because my flute's not working, mm. but I have taken up, um, I also did art and my, oh. I was either going to go to music school or art school and I went to music school, but, um, I've taken up drawing again and um, painting. So I'm actually doing that now as a practice. Um, I'm doing meditative art called Zentangles. You can see it on my Instagram account at yeah. Cantor. And it's just, it doesn't have to be great art. It's not mm -hmm. like, but it's just a patterning. And I just felt like it helps my focus yeah. and I really enjoy it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for being here. Do you want to tell our listeners how to get a hold of you? I know sure. there's a lot of ways. Yes. Well, <laughs> if you just um, go to www.bethcantor.org, mm -hmm. you will find my blog. You'll see a link to the Happy Healthy Nonprofit. You can purchase it on Amazon if you like. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on Twitter and at Cantor. Uh, but if you go to the blog, there's all the links to the different social media sites. So that's the best way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Beth. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> And thank you to all of you for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye Radio and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore. Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher or your favorite app and subscribe and leave us some feedback so others can find us. You can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. Thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.